I'm Tyler. I'm Megan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Tyler, it's good to see you back for episode five. It's so good to see you, Megan. It's been a little while since we recorded. Yeah, yeah. So it is it is about time and I'm excited about this episode. I feel like this one is a classic, which I maybe feel like about all of them in the first couple of seasons, but um, but yeah, I enjoy this one a lot. I think it's I think it's just yeah, just a fun one. I feel like there are a bunch of things that kind of come together for some previous episodes, and um, I think it's just a delight. So I'm looking forward to hearing what you think. Oh, I'm excited. Well, the first time I watched this one in my uh, binge rewatch, I was like, ugh. How, so much of this episode is just them playing basketball and I yeah. and I sort of object I think in general to um fictional representations of sports like I think I don't I mean I don't like watching sports in general but something about watching like fictional sports or I'm like well nothing that everything that's happening is just fake anyway and oh, so interesting that is never crossed my mind I feel like this is the version of sports that I can really enjoy <laughs> you know like an uplifting sports movie like the mighty ducks or oh, I love something the mighty. like that um and actually now that you're saying that I maybe I'm kind of surprised that I enjoy this episode so much because there is a lot of basketball but we can get into maybe why I like it so yeah much. yeah Wait, um, uh, hold on. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, The Mighty Ducks. I haven't watched that in a long time. Uh, I do you think it holds up? I have no idea. And I have very little recollection of it other than just a sort of positive feeling. I remember liking it. I remember liking the second one more, though I don't know why. But I do know, I do remember that in one of them, the, one of the characters like puts the puck on its side and then hit the puck and it like flips over and over and over again into the goal or something. And so I remember, you know, in the one moment in my life where I was semi-interested in sports, it was like roller hockey in, uh -huh. I, I would have been in maybe elementary school or yeah, uh -huh. something like that. Anyway, but I just remember everybody trying to do that move on the <laughs> court or whatever you call it. Um, yeah. Uh, and I do think maybe that's my resentment perhaps against like sports in fiction is because there's no music in reality. Whereas in the movies, it's so exciting. The music. Yeah. Um, that's what makes it so fun. Yeah. And then they always get to break the rules like Air Bud. You know, there's nothing in the <laughs> rules that says a dog can't play basketball. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's I guess that's a fair a fair point. But the music thing, I'll say my favorite part of any real basketball game. Like my favorite part of a Bulls game is when they turn off the lights at the beginning and they play those kind of jock jam songs yes. and the players run out in the dark with the sort of swirling lights and they announce their names. And I just think that is a wonderful time. I love it. And then I'm like, okay, I've had my fill. Like, like I'm good. That, that was a lot of fun though. Have you experienced that in person, like gone to a Bulls game? I have. I have. Yeah. I've, I've been to a few, few Bulls games and that part is just so good. I must say I love, okay. So I would not probably like buy a ticket to any sporting event. 
<laughs> but when I go, or if I were to go, I think I would really be like, I would look around and be like, we're doing it, everybody. Like we're here at a thing. Like this is, this is such a social experience. Like, cause I, I feel like I would get into the hot dogs of it all and the, the and hot dogs of the, it all is the watered down beer and the, mm-hmm. the squeak of the shoe. I don't know. I'd be like, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Those, those are fun parts, except for the fact that the beer is like $9 or $12 or something outrageous so that that part kind of hurts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely kind of time out like, okay, when am I going to get my treats? For the- <laughs> and I can't blow it in like the first quarter or whatever. I gotta, mm-hmm. I gotta kind of save it and space it out. Do you find yourself in certain circumstances like that where eating is a kind of um, part of the thing, part of the event where you 100%. just don't even think, I don't even, I think, I, I, I think I have this fantasy that I went to, when I enter into spaces like movie theaters, maybe sporting venues or stadiums, concerts, whatever, mm-hmm. that like calories don't count anymore. And my body is in a sort of limbo or stasis because it's like, no, no, no. My job here is to eat like four hot dogs and a, and a pretzel and a beer. And, you know, the, the goal is to, I don't know. I somehow think that because you're at a, an event where eating is required, that it, it no longer counts or something. <laughs> I Clearly know. that's not, unfortunately that is not true, but that is my fantasy. I don't, I don't really worry about it in terms of the counting, but I just 100% think that it is a centerpiece of the event. Yeah. 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 I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it without that. Um, I think it's more that I have to compromise and be like, okay, I am going to spend $12 on a beer today and Uh, I'm still going to enjoy it. I think that that might be where my like counting and sense of guilt comes in because I'm like, this is absurd. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be buying this, but I am. Do you have a sense of like, okay, is there an amount for a beer that you would not pay? Like, is there a, a <laughs> yeah, for me, I, I can't, I really think 12 is my, my threshold. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's, I think that's about where I, where I tap out. I feel like the only time, because I don't, as I've said, uh, go to sporting events, but we have gone to some concerts that are held at the same venues, basically. And um, and yeah, it's crazy. It's like, oh, you know, $12. It's not only that it's $12, but it's like $12 for a Miller Lite. Yes. You know? So yeah. all I'm getting here is poor and a headache. Like it's no, uh, yeah. I don't know. It's uh, not even like an investment here. Yeah, yeah. It's not a craft beer or so, although that sounds so pretentious, but I, am I know about that. <laughs> I like I like a, 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 a you know, a basic beer, but if I'm going to drink it, I would like to pay three dollars for it, perhaps oh, or have it free, you know, yeah, at a party. Free, great. free is free is the ideal, ideal kind of beer. But uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's where I kind of tap out. But did you pay attention I was starting to think a little bit about all the people who are sitting on the bench and on the sidelines of this game and just being so bored. You know, they they don't have any of the hot dogs available um, or those those distractions. So it's kind of interesting here, like both the action and the sidelines. That's so true. Yeah, I did this time through. I really enjoyed the cutaways to the audience that is mainly bored, except for Pam 
We're going to talk about Pam a lot. Uh, I have feelings. Uh, anyway, okay, before we dive into it, do we have any, um, I don't know, announcements, things to clean up from the last episode, oh, things yeah. to remind people of? I don't know. Good question. I I don't remember having any any corrections or omissions from the last one. I may have thought of them at the time and forgotten them, but yeah. what about you? I haven't been checking our social media, so I don't know <laughs> if we're getting comments or questions or anything. I promise I'll start checking it. Um, but that is a good reminder, by the way, if you are listening. Well, first, thanks for listening because, yes, thanks for listening. Uh, you know, we're still doing it. So yeah. and we do have some listeners. It's great. Yeah. It's incredible. Um, yeah, you were telling me some of the geography. I just was like blown away and so uh, humbled that anybody would listen to us, you know. Yeah, uh, we'll see if they come back for more episodes. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, but if you want to follow us on social media, which I promise to check increasingly is uh, on Twitter. We are office underscore HRS underscore pod. And on Instagram, we are office underscore hours spelled out H-O-U-R-S underscore podcast. Uh, so follow along and um, hype us up. And if you have questions or corrections or additions or whatever, um, yeah, let us know. All right. All right. Let's get into it. So here is the NBC summary for episode five, Basketball. Facing a basketball game against the warehouse employees, Michael raises the stakes and bets on his hand-picked team. All right. Hand-picked. Hand-picked team. Oh, boy. I have to say just first of all that as a person who's not usually very stressed out by the office, this one actually kind of does stress me out because the thought of having to publicly play basketball or do this kind of thing at work I find so embarrassing it's sort of like the fear of getting called on stage in an improv show you know Um, it feels very improv-y to me and just very embarrassing so I when I watch this always sort of imagine myself in the scenario and I just don't understand the people who are very comfortable and you know, proud and kind of, it might, it's probably partly because I'm absolutely terrible at basketball. If I was good, I might have very different feelings, but this just feels like a scene of humiliation for me. I mean, I certainly feel that way in general. I didn't, it's funny, this episode didn't cringe me up too much. Um, (laughs) So I was sort of like, "Eh, whatever, you know, but I guess I wasn't identifying. I was like, oh, if I'm in this, I'm Kevin on the sidelines or whatever, not Kevin. Mm -hmm shooting hoops, but Kevin on the yeah. sidelines um, yeah. or Angela or whatever. Uh, and I, <laughs> You're the Angela of the sidelines. Yeah, because uh, I'm not really good at sports. I don't really like sports. But as you're saying that, though, it is like, yeah, like, I don't know. You know, I always think about this when we stand in front of a classroom. I'm like, OK, in some sense, my body is on display. You know, um, there is a bodily dimension to teaching, but mm-hmm. I just try really hard to not think about it and <laughs> pretend that I'm just the sort of uh, brain in a jar connecting, <laughs> you know, uh, and saying saying word. You know, I'm so identified with my my mind and what I'm and my words. You know, that's where mm-hmm. I feel, you know, both shame and 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 desire or whatever so anyway i you know the idea of being on display bodily like on a court yeah and you're not talking 
and all you're doing is using your body to me is so, uh, yeah, just like shame inducing. And I, <laughs> which is not to say that like people who do that, you know, like I, I have great respect for folks that like, you know, use and enjoy their bodies in all kinds of ways like that. But to me, yeah, I, similarly, I would <laughs> like, oh, and especially if you were forced to do it. Yeah. Um, but did you ever, that's why I love the moment where Dwight just like rips off his shirt And I was kind of wondering if you, did you ever have the shirts and skins moment or whatever in any, (laughs) or is that a specifically masculine, you know, shirts and skins comes up more, uh, yeah, on the, on the boys team or boys, the male, you know, (laughs) um, that is really, really funny. Um, there was a time when, I guess this was probably in the, yeah, it had to be in the nineties at some point when those tearaway pants were really popular. Adidas pants that had, um, snaps all up the side so that you could like walk out onto a court and just rip them off, um, in one, one piece. So I think that's like the closest thing that I could kind of identify with. Um, I had a pair of those pants that I inherited from an ex-boyfriend and (laughs) I don't know about you, but for a long period of time, well, like for with each relationship until the one I'm in now, I like sort of collected a piece of clothing. I'm sounding like a serial killer, but it was really, it was both about, you know, sentimentality, because I like definitely am filled with excessive sentimentality and attachment. Um, But also it was just convenient. Like I really liked the, I liked, you know, that t-shirt that I got from her and I like those pants that I got from him. I like this skirt, you know, whatever. Um, But anyway, I had a pair of those, they were white um, (laughs) uh, with black stripes and I wore them to graduate school one day. I don't think you were, I don't know that you were in the classroom, but I wore them with like a tie-dye t-shirt. And (laughs) I just remember realizing like, Oh, in graduate school, people like are a little more professionally dressed. <laughs> I think I had a, an armband too that said like no war or something like that. Stop wars or anyway. Anyway, back to clothing. Which, by the way, I had a question for you. This is directly related to the episode. Okay, good. Is it going to be about clothing? Because that's, I definitely wanted to talk yes. about wardrobe in this episode. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a big part of what I want to talk about because the plot is whatever. Sleeveless shirts. How do you feel yeah. about them? Yeah. <laughs> what, um, what are your thoughts? I think, I don't know. You and you're, I think you're specifically referring to a men's sleeveless shirt here. Yeah, I am in this context. Yeah. 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 I'm for them. I'm for them. Like I'd say I'm fairly, like I can kind of go either way. I will say I loved the choices behind them for this episode. I thought they were so perfect, you know, that Roy has kind of like the cutoff t-shirt mm-hmm. sleeveless. That seems spot on for him. But Michael's outfit in particular <laughs> gives me so much joy. I think it is absolutely perfect and communicates so much about him. So it is like a matched set, first of all, like the shorts and the top go together. What are they kind of like? I guess your colorblindness is going to be a problem here, maybe, but they're like kind of navy blue-ish with some, I guess, silver trim or highlighting and sleeveless shirt. It's this kind of shiny material that is very... um, 
Like it does not look cool. It looks like he really, he re you know that he really wants it to be cool and that he put thought into this outfit, but it just does not look like cool basketball wear. What is your thought about this outfit? Well, uh, to the general question of sleeveless shirts, I think, mm -hmm. uh, well, I guess we'll have to distinguish at some point between sleeveless shirts and tank tops. Yes. But back different. in the 90s, the sleeveless shirt was a real choice, you know, mm -hmm. and I always thought they looked cool in retrospect, or at least in this episode, I was like, oh, my God, these looks these are so not flattering, which is, I guess, the point. <laughs> but increasingly now, I feel like I see younger um, people wearing tank tops uh, that, you know, they don't have muscles or whatever. And mm -hmm. um and I'm like, ooh, I want to try that, you know, but I tried one on and I remember Jen saying like, no, <laughs> no, like you're not wearing that. And I was like, really? Like, but young people do it. And she was like, no, you know, I was like, yeah, oh, darn it. So you're not um, a young person. Yeah, I think that might be the problem. I don't know who can say, but um, yeah, his outfit cracked me up and his whole kind of like, oh, what's wrong with me today? I'm normally so good at this. And I'm, and uh, I'm trying to think of some of his other, um, Oh, you know, his story at the beginning where he's like, they were watching me just swish, swish, swish. Yes. Um, so this fantasy or this front that he's putting up, um, I thought was beautifully reflected in that kind of poser yeah. um, uh, clothing. And uh, yes, and anyway. it's right. It is a kind of poser clothing. There's, there's so much that you talked about that we just are going to have to unpack because you hit some of my favorite lines. Um, but you're right. It's like it's supposed to signify skill at basketball, and what it ends up signifying is like non-belonging. Yes. Like the yes. guys who are actually good at basketball do not wear that outfit. Mm -mm. But he's got that. He's got the shoes. He's got the knee brace, and you know maybe he really needs a knee brace. But there's just something about it that he's so prepared. Mm -hmm. This also he comes down early. Daryl is sitting eating his lunch and Michael is like, oh, classic mistake, eating before you play. So he is just taking it so, so seriously. Like there's nothing casual about his approach to basketball. On a related note, there's his warm up. I felt like some of the physical comedy in this one was really, really strong. Mm -hmm. And he's warming up and he's doing like, I, I can't even describe it, but this sort of like side to side kicking up his legs and it just is so funny um and connects i think with the outfit and with the whole commitment to trying so hard um and to be so official but every time it's like every time he tries to be so good at basketball he reveals himself to not be a good fit for this yeah, I love the, I mean, just the whole kind of like calling of fouls and then the wanting to end the game early because they're winning. It's just so like, like a child, you know, who has to win. On the other hand, I kept, I don't, I, I hope this is not because I'm like growing more compassionate for Michael or something. But when you were talking about like the, you know, casual versus taking it very seriously, I kept thinking, of the scene, you know, when he's trying to like tease them and joke with them. And, and like, on the one hand, like I think about this a lot cause I feel like um, in academia, um, but also in our classes, like we meet a lot of really awkward people. And <laughs> people that are, 
Is that is that unfair? I don't know. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> That's part of the academic world. Yeah, and I and I guess you know, um, and one of the ways that I would, I mean, obviously, like awkwardness and casualness are socially constructed. They are you know culturally specific. They're certainly gendered and racialized, and I feel like that you know comes up here. Um, and, uh, but, you know, it is always a little cringy when people can't just take it easy, you know, mm-hmm. like just be, you know, just like try to be casual and, and, mm-hmm. you know, um, and so Michael's like kind of trying to have a nickname for Daryl and yeah. his like trying to, I don't know, like, he you know, he says like, you can dish it out but you can't take it but they hadn't been dishing it out like he's trying so hard to elicit them into some kind of like like he even says rapport yeah Um, yeah. I just found that like some I I don't know endearing but like also I guess this is the like part that's really annoying is that he is the boss and he is also a white straight man who gets to even if he is the most socially awkward person in the world still gets to get away without any consequences for that. So I don't know. I don't have a point other than I was just really interested to see how that played out. And I was surprised that I was trying to be like, Michael, just like relax, man. You're Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really feel for him in this too, because I think he does have a lot of goodwill here and he really does want to build rapport, but he's not good at reading and understanding some of the social cues and subtleties about how to interact with people. Um, and so it's like he sort of knows the forms, like he sort of knows about, you know, masculine banter. Yes. And, the coolness that is associated with basketball and with athleticism. So yeah, I feel like he kind of knows the forms, but without being able to quite handle the nuances of it. Yeah. There's something so interesting there about the way that um, social interactions work and all the little forms of communication that go into that. Yeah, and it's interesting that in this episode, and it feels like they're still figuring out these characters that like Michael, they're still really, I mean, like, I feel like they'll move away from this and make Todd Packard the most problematic character and Michael will become <laughs> more lovable. But like here he makes a gay joke. Here he like assumes that black people are good at basketball and the show is, you know, trying to show us, oh, and that women um, are bad at sports and whatever, uh, all of these kind of sexist and racist stereotypes. So they're reminding us like his, he is problematic (laughs) Um, and none of this is acceptable, but I kept thinking like, is it a weakness of the show to move away, to like take those elements away from him? Or is it important that he learns over time, uh, you know, not not to try to mimic those aspects of social Mm-hmm. I don't know I don't have a point but I just I just kept thinking like oh yeah like he's still they're still trying to show us that he is racist unintentionally or intentionally you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it made me think back to diversity day and to his um 
<laughs> his spontaneously created organization Diversity Tomorrow and creating <laughs> sort of stereotype extravaganza where he wants people to really like get stereotypical. And here is sort of another version of that in the way that it actually plays out in the day to day. And Michael is articulating all these things that I think are just like pretty standard and are really super common associations and stereotypical assumptions. So yeah, maybe we can kind of go through and talk about, uh, talk about some of these, but I think the first one that we begin with, and I wanna get, I feel like we also get a lot more of the gender stuff coming out that we haven't had is fully developed before. I think we get more of that stuff opening up today, but it kind of starts, I think, with the racial element of it. And so at the beginning, Michael comes in, you know, he's got his gym bag and he is he, like, he's already in his, well, what's the word that I'm looking for? I don't know, but his kind of masculine, enthusiastic, physical mode. And he hits Pam's desk with the newspaper and he's holding up his gym bag and getting the other players who he wants on the team to also hold up their gym bags and their sign of solidarity. And then it goes, he's sitting in his office and he's talking to the camera and he's explaining the plan basically for the day. So he says, I play basketball every weekend. So I thought this might be kind of fun. And so I start messing around and I'm sinking a few, you know, swish, 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 nothing but net and their jaws drop to the floor. African-Americans. And I just think his idea about this credibility that you get, like the credibility that you get as a white person if mm. black people think you are good at basketball mm. was, I don't know, so, so interesting here, but I think also so kind of culturally spot on. I don't mm. think that this is very specific to Michael. Mm -hmm. This idea, to, well, I mean, that's definitely like a certain paradox of white white racism, right? Like it's like uh, people fetishize blackness or want, you know, the, the the touch of blackness. Yeah. All the, you know, but none of the, um, you know, none of the structural oppression. <laughs> yeah. All of the coolness, exactly. you know, or exactly. something. Exactly, but it's got right that image of like coolness and athleticism, and then of course there are all the problems of association with. Um, you know, physical prowess as opposed to intellectualism and, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think we see that here in his, <laughs> just how much validation he gets from this. And we know though, when we actually see the warehouse that there aren't any African-Americans whose jaws are dropped yeah. by being so impressed by his basketball. Right. There aren't any white people. There isn't anybody whose jaw is dropping in being impressed, but like that that's that's the story he tells himself. Yeah. And then we get the famous, um, I don't know why I think it's famous, maybe it's just famous to me, but the uh the Stanley, the Stanley, of course. Yes, yes, yes. So he's going around, he's starting to pick his team. Um, and he says, so he, he's kind of saying like, who, who are the people that he's gonna pick for the team? And he says, Stanley, of course. And Stanley really quickly comes in. So, so Michael says, Stanley, of course, what do you play center? Um, and Stanley, I'm sorry, why of course, what's that supposed to mean? 
So yeah, what did you think about his his Stanley pick and Stanley's response? Um, I mean, I thought it was I thought it was really interesting. Uh, in the immediate aftermath, he's like, oh, "I didn't hear that." Mm-hmm. But then, um, yes. but then he says, "I can't remember whether he says it about himself or because Jim says well, I heard it." And then yep. he says, oh, me or whatever. Of course, of course. Oh, I heard it that time, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Like, I found that an amusing way to try to like <laughs> backpedal one's microaggressions. Yeah, was yeah. To, uh, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a point other than like, I think that the show, I had, I didn't realize how much the show is doing this double. Um, it's trying to clue its audience in that what mm-hmm. Michael is 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 problematic <laughs> while at the same time having us enjoy his problematicness you know and i think that that's a precarious dance and sometimes it gets it right and sometimes maybe it doesn't and in this moment i thought that was a you know that was a really powerful moment where mm-hmm. stanley's like wait what you know and mm-hmm. then and then it's it pays off too because like he's not good at basketball and then you know the people that michael won't even consider are great but he doesn't notice he doesn't see mm-hmm. um so there's something interesting too about like Michael doesn't actually learn anything. Um, I mean, I do feel like that's one of the one thread that's come out of some of our conversations is how much how little people learn on this show, <laughs> uh, which I find interesting because we tend to think I think of sitcoms as like they maybe they achieve equilibrium at the end we return to normalcy, but usually I think there is some kind of moral lesson or something and michael is always trying to articulate those like at the end of this he's like we're on the same team it's about character um but it's really clear he's learned nothing (laughs) yeah you're right that hmm he does at the end in that conclusion yeah talking about yeah how sports are all about sports are all about character and it like sets up that opportunity for the tying up and the learning the lesson but maybe that in itself has sort of an implicit critique of that yes. sitcom structure where things do get better and people do learn because things don't really get better and people don't really learn, at least not in that quick and clean kind of way. So well, I feel that, like these, yeah. I was just gonna say like these kinds of these kinds of interactions, like with Stanley, for example, those aren't you don't have a have a diversity presentation, you don't have Mr. Brown come in and it fixes it and it is happy by the end. It just continues to kind of keep playing out. And then we get to sort of sit with this, all that tension around it as both it happens, as Stanley responds, and then as Michael shows that sort of social performance of trying to compensate for it and cover for it. Yeah, this this brings me to two separate threads in the episode that I'll like kind of curious which one you want to talk about. But mm-hmm. on the one hand, there is speaking of things not changing, we have Pam's plot, which is basically mm-hmm. like she's been engaged for three years, or she had a engagement shower. What did they call it? Yeah, uh, yeah, engagement shower. So is a wet what's a wedding shower? Is that like when you is that when you get engaged? Yeah, I, I think I'm wondering if what she had was a wedding shower that kind of became reframed as an engagement shower because okay. it was so far away. Because I don't feel like those are usually two 
different things. It's like you're engaged, you have a wedding shower, you get your toaster and you get married. And I think for her, it's just the, yeah, the wedding keeps getting delayed. I just, yeah, I really like that as a, um, I mean, I know it plays into a whole bunch. I mean, the whole Pam Jim plot is, is heteronormativity as such, but um, still as a, as a certain, I, I don't know. I just really found it. I find it interesting to start us off with a couple who's been engaged for this long and like, it just kind of fits with the vibe of being stuck in an office with nowhere to go. Like everything, you know, your life is kind of just in limbo on hold. Everything is in, in, in abeyance. I don't know. I just, I just, I really like that. However, um, that leads us to the kind of like, uh, you know, I guess the question is like, who's going to win her affection you know, mm-hmm. and she, anyway, yeah. So, so it seems like something could change here. She is checking Jim out, but then, then at the end, she's right back with the Roy and they're going to get in a tub together. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want to talk about that whole plot just because I, yeah, I was surprised yeah. by how explicit her desire for Jim to win was. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know if that was about a desire for change or a desire for him, or is she playing them against each other? Um, but then the other thing, speaking of not changing, is the ways in which Michael is constantly like reminding everybody that he is the boss and that he mm-hmm. is um, ultimately in charge. Then he keeps being undermined, like, but only to a certain degree. So like the three guys stand around him at the end and they stop yeah. him from making them work on the weekend. So his power is like highly constrained. And yet the threat of it is always definitely there because he's like, oh, if we win, you'll be fired. Or if you guys win, you'll be fired. That's a joke. And then at the end, he's like, oh, you don't have to work. We might be downsized anyway, you know? And it's like, I just find that really interesting, like living in the tension of he's never not going to be the boss and you're always going to be potentially walking on eggshells around this guy which is horrible. I don't know. Much like living with somebody who's constantly making microaggressions or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, those two things really resonated to me. Yeah. I feel like we could end up connecting both of those things through your points about power and through questions of how power is working. And it's making me think first of Michael and with the different forms that we see here of masculine power or masculine credibility or masculine validity. And one of those is being a boss. One of those is tied to work and to that kind of status. And then the other one is tied to athleticism. Mm. I feel like for so many of them, they're that mass, their yeah, ability to kind of display their um, masculinity and their value, whether it's to Pam directly or um, in Michael's case, if it's just sort of <laughs> image creating in general Mm -hmm. Um, because it feels like yeah he does have the he does have the work he does have the status position but I think he feels like he's not a man in the quite the right way or in quite the way that the guys in the warehouse are and there's a kind of um, a kind of status then that I think they have in that that he lacks which maybe also is what connects to when he says to Jim 
try not to be too gay on the court. Right. And then he, he quickly tries to correct himself or there's another moment of like the, the walking it back and of saying, I don't mean, uh, what's the line? It's something like not in the homosexual way in the bad at sports way. <laughs> I think that's, right. I think that's self-evident or I think that goes without saying. Right. Right. Um, so it feels like there's, there's also an element of power in that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. I love this point about like certain performances of masculinity here. I mean, on the one hand, that's, I think why I'm like, ugh, Jim sucks. Um, <laughs> I think that I, the very first time I ever saw the show, like everybody, I think, or I don't know, maybe that's too far. <laughs> I, my impression is that the show and lots of its audience uh, identify or want to identify with Jim because mm -hmm his job sucks and he's the quote unquote normal one who looks at the camera and is like, mm -hmm. can you believe this? You know? So we are, we either identify with him or we're encouraged to identify with him. But this time through, I'm like, you know, he's, he was like, Oh, it was kind of my thing in high school to be good at basketball. And I was like, Oh, ew. Like you were <laughs> popular. You were like, you know, you're not. Oh. And then meanwhile, let's go against, some of the ways, yeah, that I realize I tend to think about Jim is not as having been cool in high school, but this is this is a cool in high school vibe, the having basketball being your thing. So there's that. Then there's the moment when Michael, I find this, I'm either like, either this is bad writing or they just hadn't figured out Dwight and Michael yet, or it's me. But so Dwight is wearing an anime shirt. He yes. is... Um, and at one point, Michael, I think, like mocks him for being like into D and D or Star Wars or fantasy stuff. Yeah. And I was like, but Michael, you're a nerd too. Yeah. Just not that kind of nerd, I guess. And then I was like, well, maybe in this, because there was definitely like a moment where you could see the transition away from the classic jock nerd binary. And mm -hmm. I feel like that is not so dominant anymore in our popular culture. In fact, I think maybe it might even be worse that like students are supposed to be both brilliant and athletic. You can't <laughs> like, like one thing that was nice about the like uh, breakfast club version was like, well, you, at least you only have to be one stereotype. You don't have to be all of them. Um, yeah. But anyway, so I, I, but I was surprised by that because I was like, well, wait a minute, like, but I guess you could read it that Michael's trying to assert his masculinity by making Dwight nerdy. But um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think of Dwight as nerdy in that way either. I think of him as weird or <laughs> uh, strange, oddball, but not like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think this is a dimension of his, his nerdiness. And I think you're right about Michael trying to kind of prop himself up in making Dwight out to be more of a nerd than he is. Um, because he's actually the one who brings up Lord of the Rings. Yes. So I have the quote for this. He says, um, he's trying to kind of rally the, rally the office to get ready and play basketball. And he says, you would follow me all the way to the ends of the earth, grumbling all the way, like that uh, dwarf from Lord of the Rings. And Dwight jumps right in, Gimli. And then Michael says, nerd, that's why you're not on the team and makes uh, like a lightsaber joke. So the thing is there, Michael, 
is sort of exposing himself in that he is the one who brings up this reference, knows about Lord of the Rings, but then has to call Dwight out and mock Dwight for knowing it. That is so right. You're so right. <laughs> well, can I ask how you think of class in relationship to these questions of masculinity and gender? Because hmm. to me, I was like, okay, what's kind of interesting. This is, I don't, this is really the first time, one of the first times we're getting to know the warehouse and the warehouse yeah. is signified as a separate space that's below the white collar workers. They wear mm -hmm. uniforms and they do physical labor, you know, so it's this classic division of labor. Um, and we tend to gender that, right? That like yeah. physical labor is more masculine and yeah. so the working class is more butch and uh -huh. the more middle-class you are, the more effete you become and less embodied. And um, so I kept trying to think about like, what is the show? What could we say about the division of labor here? I don't know if you had any thoughts about that. Yeah. I do feel like that's also part of Michael's insecurity. I do think he he has that that feeling that the um, the physical laborer is more masculine. I mean, I, th I think he he talks a big masculinity game here, but I don't think he feels particularly secure in that. And this also is making me think about the fact that he describes his basketball skill in terms of jazz. <laughs> so I don't know why there's something, I mean, I, I guess there could be both a, a racial element to that as well, but, right. but also like, you know, a kind of um, sort of light, quick on his feet, sophisticated kind of basketball player versus more of just like strength and force in the mm -hmm. way that he describes it. I don't know. I feel like I'm losing now track of the um, the warehouse, the warehouse slash white collar uh, kind of division. So we don't really yeah. get to know the white or the warehouse characters mm -hmm. yet in any way. And we know them in relation to the um, the office people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. And, and Michael even sort of said, like, that's one joke he makes about Pam, or it's like, Pam, you're going to throw the ball up because yeah. you're between us. But mm -hmm. the only way in which she's between is as a, as a romantic object or something. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, the, the, the only point I could make is like perhaps the dumbest point, but just that like, you know, he keeps asserting we're on the same team, but actually they're divided. So yeah. it shows, you know, that like labor is divided. And if it, you know, and that's the purpose of it, right? Like the, the division of labor very frequently works to, or maybe fundamentally works to keep people not perceiving themselves as against one another rather than looking towards the capitalist or the owner of the office so that you fight, you know, the two fight over who's going to work on the weekend when really what they should be doing is binding together and unionizing so that they, so that no one has to work on the weekend. I don't know. Um, but that doesn't seem especially, I don't know. Uh, no, that, that is interesting. So they're both, they're both fighting over who has to, who's going to have to work more, who's going to have to work on the weekend. Although Daryl wanted it to be more fun and wanted it to be something that actually could have created more of the kind of camaraderie that Michael wants so bad. That's and true. That Didn't he say dinner by dinner? Dinner at Farley's. Yeah, exactly. And he That's doesn't like Michael's plan because it, he says it's not as fun. 
So on the one hand, yeah, it is this contest over the work that they'll do. And it's also a contest over a woman. So you pointed out that Pam is described as being like in between. She's got a foot in both sides and how, whoa, sorry, that was a frightening noise from my dog. Um, Was she snoring? What's she doing? uh, It was like a some kind of cough <laughs> are you going to vomit kind of sound it feels it feels like like we're okay here um, but that it's also a contest over a woman and the way that the power relations between men are partly negotiated through access to this woman yes yes so that over the course of the game you know both so jim going into it is very clearly ready to try to impress Pam and to try to win Pam's heart through his basketball skill, which interestingly there too, that goes to the, what is the kind of masculine attractive and a masculine ideal. And it's not being really good at doing your job in the office. It's being good at something that's physical. Right. So he's prepared for that. And that over the course, so there are all of those little looks during the time they're playing, Pam looking at Roy, Pam looking at Jim, Jim kind of glancing over to see, is she seeing me doing my moves? Um, but as the tension you know, rises over the course of it between Jim and Roy, where they're competing at basketball, but also competing for Pam, of course. Well, let's talk about that for just a second. What is Pam thinking? Like, what is her... <laughs> Or maybe to move it away from Pam for a minute, what mm-hmm. does is Roy aware that uh, that they're that that's a dynamic of this tension? Because it mm. seems like he's not aware of the of the looks and the glances that we're privy to those, but he's not. On the other hand, his physical altercations with Jim are escalating yeah maybe because they just want to win and that's like what boys do supposedly you know whatever um but i couldn't figure out whether he knows or not but i also wasn't sure how aware pam is that she wants to bone down with jim i mean (laughs) because i mean her glance she's just like you know licking him up with her eyes those are some longing glances good acting good acting (laughs) i was like she is lusty Mm -hmm. those are some (laughs) lusty eyes that's a really good point though i think i don't think roy and i described them as competing over pam i think jim is competing for pam and i think you're right roy is just competing because he's competitive at basketball right jim is kind of going after him because it's jim who asks to guard roy right like he wants to kind of be one-on-one um you're so good at remembering details you remember every detail it's just that i've seen it enough times uh that they that they come back sometimes i'm so in awe of you you are so good at detail anyway go ahead yeah this is a really impressive thing about me it is no i'm just kidding but in most areas my memory is actually terrible so it's really just based on on repetition that has locked it down um but because i think roy is too confident i don't think he's really worried although now i'm going back and forth i keep sort of internally arguing with myself here because I was going to say Roy for the most part seems like he is very confident in his relationship with Pam like just that you know why would anyone go elsewhere but him 
But at the same time, there was the recent time when he got, and now I don't remember which episode this was, but where he got mad when, this was in the Alliance actually, when um, Jim and Pam were laughing at Dwight and they were kind of holding hands and there was that moment, you know, yes. when Roy walks in and gets mad. So you're right. I don't know exactly where Roy is at at this point. Jim definitely seems to be, I mean, I certainly think he's aware of his desire. I think it's, he's also like brushing really close to saying it to Pam when he says, I think I'll see you at the mall. The implication being that if Roy has to work the weekend, that Pam would then hang out with Jim or at the very least go to the same spot that he has said he will be at. Like, cause I was like, well, if Roy is working, Who's to say that Pam wouldn't go with her friend to the lake or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. But that was this other moment too, where I was like, on the one hand, I kind of liked this. Um, I mean, I liked it. I like this, like, I don't know. I think I remember this as a kid. I don't know if you ever had this, like you're at the cafeteria lunch table or whatever mm-hmm. on Monday and people are like, oh, what'd you do this weekend? And I feel like as children, we were learning either from television shows or parents that like, that's a thing that you talk about um, mm-hmm. because, and also we didn't have social media and and you weren't necessarily calling everybody. So you didn't know. Yeah. But on the other hand, I remember remem- realizing like, oh, nobody did anything because there's not that much interesting to do in the world. And like most weekends you don't really do anything. So it's always strange to talk about your weekend, I think, because huh. it's like you're, you need to create a narrative that, makes your leisure time sound not like a complete, like somehow worse mm-hmm. than your normal, like alienated life. And, uh, but on the other hand, there's, you know, unless you went to a concert this anyway. So I kind of liked how she's going to go to the lake and he's going to go to the mall. And I was like, that's such like middle-class, you know, uh, white suburban things to do that are unremarkable. On the other hand, mm-hmm. I kept trying to read I was wondering if you had any reading of like what that signified because I just couldn't picture Jim at the outlet mall by himself and I and the idea that Pam and Roy have like um wave runners which I assume are like jet skis or something sort of cuts against my image of the two of them as like more working class because she's the receptionist and he's in the warehouse whereas Jim's in sales uh-huh. I don't know. Did you have any thoughts on their weekend plans? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. You can I also th- say no. <laughs> I think it strikes me. It, it was striking to me too that Jim's offer is to go to the outlet malls because I love how boring that is. I like how plain and normal that is. And it's interesting because he doesn't offer something impressive. Like he doesn't offer something that seems really enticing. Um, But it also feels like in some ways, the idea of having someone you go to the outlet mall with on weekends is really kind of lovely. Although of course, if I have to go, if Dan and I have to go shopping together, that can uh, can derail into some some challenging places. So maybe Same maybe word. I can walk it walk it back on the romance of the outlet mall. <laughs> <laughs> but, Wait, can you say more about that? What's going to happen uh, with you and Dan at the at the shopping situation? <laughs> 
Um, okay, so if we've gone at times, I, I'd say that IKEA is like the oh, really sadly of, of places. You know, people joke that going to IKEA together is like a path to divorce. And um, that kind of situation where it's like there's something you've got to get, it's so crowded, there are so many people, it's stressful, mm. you're trying to make decisions, it ends up taking way longer than you want it to just attention producing fight producing situation um but i like the idea i just like it though the gym invites her to the outlet mall yeah um, that doesn't give us any good real good interpretation of it but i think just the normal neutral regular kind of boringness of it I have to think, I mean, well, okay, so I grew up in Pennsylvania and uh -huh. not in not near Scranton though, but when people talked about going to the outlets, uh -huh. what they meant was like, it was kind of a, an area, but you would sort of drive from place to place to place. And mm -hmm. um, so it wasn't, at least as in my memory, and maybe this is all different now, or maybe it's different in that area. Um, it wasn't like one mall that you would walk through. It was like, you'd have to drive between it. So it's kind of interesting to imagine them <laughs> like having time together, you know, um, as opposed to just strolling or something. But yeah, uh, there, I, oh, yeah, I will say based on the Illinois, Wisconsin area, there are outlet malls that some, sometimes it's like internal and you can walk inside like a normal mall it's like the outlet of everything then mm. some of them are more like strip mall style yeah you know, where all the stores are there so it's a big parking lot you, you're walking outside it's not inside where you can smell the auntie ann's pretzels and that mm. kind of thing um did you like the cinnamon auntie ann's the cinnamon pretzels you know on my I, I do have a strong feeling about those and that is that they smell better than they taste because <laughs> they smell so so good and yeah. then when I've gotten one, it's like, oh, this does not quite taste like it smells. And it's like kind of dried out and mm -hmm. disappointing just because it smells divine. Yeah. No, I, they do smell so good. I remember one professor telling us about how Barnes and Noble, like, you know, circulates the smell of baking cookies because there is some study oh, that yeah. shows that we buy more stuff if we smell certain things anyway, but uh my auntie and or like my version of that auntie Anne story is the cinnabon which i can't think of anything more um heavenly or delightful than a cinnabon when i was 10 mm -hmm. but i remember you know i don't know in like in grad school so in my 20s like being in a train station and there was a cinnabon and i was like i am at the heights of depression let's eat this shit <laughs> and uh it was so disappointing. And I was like, is this because it's train station Cinnabon or is it because it was never that good and I just remembered it? I don't know. Anyway, we've gotten away from the, uh, we've <laughs> lost the plot of, um, and on my, uh, yeah, on my notes, I had Wave Runner versus Mall. Uh, so I can cross that off. But I do have one question for you before we, before we wrap up. I had, um, is basketball good? Is it a good sport? Define good. I don't know. Like, I just was like watching them. I was like, this is such a dumb sport. Like, and I don't know. I think that I genuinely hate the squeaking of the shoes. To me, like the, the, the key thing of basketball is just the squeaking. And uh, 
That's the main element. I don't know. You know, you've mentioned to me years ago the the squeaking of the shoes, and it has kind of hurt basketball for me. Like I'm when so I sorry. Around, it's okay. But even in the background now, it's like you can't, once you hear it, you can't unhear it. And I never <laughs> heard it until you mentioned it. But do you watch I, like basketball games like on a regular basis? No, I don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just thought like there were parts of you I'm discovering still. Yeah, no, ruined basketball for me would suggest that I that I really did, but no, it just <laughs> it just made something that I wasn't really interested in. Also, like it added a dimension of irritation to it. Hmm. But I That's would actually argue that basketball is a great sport. It's let let me let me lay it out here. A it's very easy to understand. Unlike football, there's a hoop at each end. You want to get it in the hoop. Got it. That makes sense. Easy to follow. B, there's a lot of action. It's quick. There's a lot of back and forth. And so I think that makes it entertaining. C, if people are really good at it and they can kind of like make it look beautiful maybe this goes to michael's jazz basketball but it really can be nice in that way and then d um people actually score like you you get a lot of points i feel like this is the problem with soccer where it's you know you can go a whole game and um the score is like zero to one yeah any listeners who actually know things about sports are gonna think my god she is so off in so many ways and that's fine i'm still gonna speak with confidence on this issue and argue that it is a good sport as sports go. As sports go. Well, I will say, I think I'm going to just objectively say, mm-hmm. and I think that this is a, this is not a preference. I think this is truth. Okay. That there is no hotter uh, sports player than a uh-huh. soccer player. I think, I think if you really? want the height of sexiness, you go to soccer. I think that you that's it. But if you want the most boring sport in the world, you go to soccer. And I don't care. <laughs> I'm sorry, our UK listeners, our global listeners. I understand. I get it. Like this is a global sport. And um, but I'm not in defense of American football either. Like it's all boring to me. But all footballs are bad. <laughs> but as evidence of my my uh, my <laughs> argument, like I've been watching Ted Lasso. Have you seen Ted Lasso at all? No, I haven't. I, I think you might like it, but either way, um, you know, it's basically a show about a soccer team. And I would say that like 2% of the show is them actually playing soccer. And I think that that's because they're like, we can't make this interesting. I'm, I'm really sorry, but the players are so sexy. And um, anyway, meanwhile, basketball. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Especially about the scoring and uh-huh. at least things are happening. Like, uh, Anyway, um, I gotta say, I think that this is going to be a very controversial episode. I'm concerned. We might have to scrap <laughs> this one and re re-record. We're gonna get canceled. <laughs> the more that we're talking, the more we're revealing our actual feelings about you know things in the world, and uh, that that's vulnerable. Um, are there any like other? Go ahead. Yeah. Two things. Well, I feel like we're revealing that we, like Michael, are gonna talk a big game about sports while also knowing nothing and revealing ourselves in that. The other, I just want to talk about the, what is wrong with me today? As a kind of guy, like as a kind of person and not, not only, not only men, but I, Michael says that twice. And I just think that is the funniest 
and best move because it's totally a move that you use when you want to show I am better than this. Yeah. And I don't think we get any any suggestions that Michael is better than this, but um, I just think he really captures a certain kind of vibe and strategy for sort of, I don't know, asserting your prowess of, of various kinds. So I just need to, to give that, that moment a little, a little highlight. Uh, I love that. I, I had written down the moment where he screams in your face as a similar, similar (laughs) moment of like, oh, this is a particular kind of guy. Um, Yeah. Thing. Every time when he's like, he's right under the basket, but he says three and then he still misses it. Yeah. He has the free throw. See, some of these things I just think are so perfect. And this is why maybe I need to wrap up by arguing about how well you said that having long sports scenes is a downside, is a negative. I think this one is just so incredibly well-crafted. Like when Michael gets a free throw for kind of calling a fake foul and he spends so much time dribbling it with both hands then he sets it down, kind of takes a breath, picks it up, all of this lead in and all of this preparation to psych himself up and he throws it and it goes over the backboard. And then he kind of like claps it out. <laughs> Just brilliant, brilliant writing, I think. Um, okay, wait. Uh, oh, the only other thing I wanted to put on the table before we shift to our dundies was, um, I don't know if you notice this in the background. I think it's a scene where Michael is talking in the office, uh, but it's sort of behind Pam. There is a sign, a poster mm-hmm. on the wall, and it said all hands meeting. Did you see this? Yeah, I have. I've noticed that the last couple times, I think, but I haven't read beyond all hands meeting. Well, so I paused it. It said all hands meeting. It was mandatory. It was taking place at the Scranton Hotel on Saturday from like nine to 12, I think, or nine to, anyway. Um, and, and it said breakfast is served, but it also said at the bottom, like all employees must attend or something like that. Huh. And I was, I don't know. I was just really interested by that. Cause I was like, well, I couldn't, as far as I, I didn't look hard enough, I guess, but I didn't see a date. So I was like, <laughs> is it this Saturday? So it's like, if you are, you're either working on Saturday or you're going to the all hands meeting. I don't think so. So is this about how like all Saturdays are potentially work Saturdays um, <laughs> or that corporate ultimately is the one determining the conditions of your weekend or something. I don't know. But the the small thing that I just kept thinking about was like, what's the Scranton hotel like? I would really like <laughs> to see, because I think that's what it said. That was like the Scranton hotel. And I was like, huh, is that like a chain or is it a boutique hotel? Yeah. Like, so I don't know if we'll ever get to see it, but um but I did then look up because I've been taking notes on the intro and mm-hmm. I feel that we have not discussed significantly enough some of the imagery in the intro. So we'll Ooh, have to make- you do get Dwight holding up his, um, or is it him or no, it's Ryan holding up yes. his plastic bag full of his basketball stuff. Which I'd always thought that was trash. I didn't realize that's what okay. that is. So anyway, we maybe we'll have to do a whole separate episode sometime just on the title sequence. But I did yeah. Google and it does look like there is a walking tour of Scranton. And I'm just saying maybe we have to do an Airbnb situation 
record an episode and screen. I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. I think this is a really good goal for us. Unless there is an actual Scranton hotel, in which case we got to stay there. hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, it makes so much sense. Okay, cool. Dundies. Who's your Dundee? Dundies. I think I, I didn't even plan my Dundee today for some reason, because I I started thinking and then I, I kind of couldn't focus it, but I think my Dundee has got to go to Stanley today. Mm -hmm. Um, Stanley is bad at basketball in such a gorgeous way. That's <laughs> such a distinctive move. Well, several things. First of all, great response to, to Michael um, about the Stanley, of course, comment. That was very solid. I like it that Stanley is so bad, but that he plays anyway. So I find that to be uh, just inspiring something that I wouldn't do where I feel like I can really take some inspiration from Stanley there. His windbreaker, the the whole outfit, great. And just the way that he dribbles with that hand, the kind of flat palm behind him, it's just so distinctive and such a, creates I think such a beautiful image. So I, I enjoy I enjoy that a lot. I think Stanley deserves a Dundee for this episode. Uh, my Dundee for most valuable player goes to Dwight uh, <laughs> for a number of reasons. Number one, uh, he's got the he's got the uh, first aid kit close at hand and uh, gets the ice pack out uh, and ready to go. Um, he doesn't he steal the ball from Ryan, but then he scores. Uh, <laughs> He's so eager to take off his shirt and be the skins. And I found it very, I, I can't believe that I like, like Dwight as much as I do, but um, he, uh, I felt really bad for him when he was in, he's like, really wants to be on the team. And Michael's like, no, yeah. I vouched for you and you embarrassed yeah. me or whatever. And um, <laughs> so I felt a bit like, you know, it was a toss up between him and Phyllis for me, but mm-hmm. I felt that ultimately Dwight uh, put in a good showing in the game. And also he is, he's wearing a great safety mask. I think that that's, (laughs) he puts safety first and I respect that. So Dwight, most valuable player this week. You're right. He cares about safety and we begin to see um, some tension between him and Angela over who is the safety officer. Yes. Could you do a quick runner up on Phyllis? Well, I just. We didn't hit Phyllis as much as we um, maybe should have. So yeah. Why was she in contention for your Dundee? Uh, I don't know what the category would be, um, like most (laughs) resilience in the face of brutal humiliation. (laughs) I just felt, you know, it was excruciating. I guess that was the the cringe for me. It was like his, his refusal to even acknowledge that she either could be, um, uh, perceived as desirable and attractive, right? Cause he mocks her like idea of being like a cheerleader or something right I can't remember and then equally um you know can't imagine her being adept and skillful at the sport which she is right and she's like oh I played basketball in high school and whatever um so yeah I just thought I was like oh but then she sits there with such uh you know chill and reserve even though she knows that she could crush them mm-hmm. uh, and help the team right I don't know because it's her yeah. and Kevin and who's the other person or is it just the two of them that are really good uh they're yeah I'd say most like the surprise 
players for Michael are both are them, yeah, are Phyllis and Kevin. And I think that's one of the great things that the narrative does, how it sets us up with all of Michael's assumptions about who is a valuable player and just checks every one of them off as wrong. So yeah. You know, yeah. Both, yeah. With, um, both with Stanley's, uh, uh, Stanley's actual performance and when Michael responds, he's like, are you kidding me when yeah. he sees <laughs> Stanley actually play? But then the fact that Phyllis and Kevin who are both better than Michael. Yeah. So love it. It, it proves them wrong. Well, um, I'm excited that we're back in and I can't wait to record again soon. So what's the next uh, episode? Yeah. Do you know what it's called? Next up, we're going to have episode six, Hot Girl. Hot Girl? Hot Girl. So we I don't will remember this. Uh, see everyone in a couple of weeks and... Uh, I forget where else I was going with that. Yeah, well, thank you everybody for listening to us and for sticking with us. And uh, and we really appreciate uh, all of our listeners, even those who enjoy watching soccer. And um, <laughs> we hope you have a wonderful couple of weeks. Thank you. All right, bye. Bye.